There is uh, no way to perfectly replicate the experience that we have each summer in being with Tita, but this morning the design is to, as closely as we can, do just that. There's a moment each summer in our experience in Guatemala where we will be walking the streets, one I've told you about many, many times. And at some point, we'll sit down on a flight of stairs or maybe atop one of the uh, four academies, soon to be five, and uh, we will just sit down and tell Tita, hey, Tita, just tell us about Jesus. And then over the course of several minutes, Tita just kind of opens her scriptures and begins to tell us about what it is to love Jesus. And at the root of this experience that we share each Sunday is at least in part a deep desire to walk out of here and say that's what it is like to be with Jesus. Whether it be through song or in prayer or in diving into God's word, we try to create an experience where we encounter the ways and the rule and the reign of Jesus in our midst. So these next few moments are designed to do just that. Tita has come from a great, great distance with her son Moshi to uh, spend the day with us and simply tell us what it is to be with Jesus. So uh, it is one of the great honors and privileges of my ministry to uh, give a warm welcome to Tita to the state. Welcome her. Yes. Thank you, it's my honor to be here and um, I wanna share my testimony, and uh, I wanna begin telling you that, can I put this up, just pull? Yeah, okay. Um, that uh, I, because of um, abuse and um, being molested and uh, um, hate. I was in a very dark um, world, and God, through salvation, passed me th- through to a um, very amazing, loving, light world. Freedom from cam- captivity to freedom, and hate to love. And but it seems like He brought me back into darkness, to be light. Um, So I wanna share, I was raised as a Catholic, um, very good example, especially my dad, uh, very good example. Um, I was molested by my dad, my grandfather, when I was six years old. And um, I have a very, um, yeah, very bad relationship with my mom. Amazing relationship with my dad. Very amazing. Um, I um, I was raised in a very polite family, and I didn't felt that I fit into that. And I always said to God, uh, "You put me in a wrong place." Um, but so at, when I was almost 18, I ran away from home and became a hippie. And, yeah. <laughs> and you know, drugs and promiscuity and 
what it comes with that. And um, I, at some point, my my group of friends start doing other drugs than marijuana, and I was so afraid of that that I start um, praying to God that I wanted a change. And then I, I, I met a, a man, he was 15 years older than me, and I get married to a, and it was a very abusive marriage. It, it lasted 12 years. And um, uh, by that time, we were, um, when the time I met, I, I was saved. We were living in um, Pasadena, California. Um, I was pregnant and uh, he wanted me to have an abortion and um, we, uh, I called my dad and explained what was going on and he told me like divorce is not from God, you have to go to the priest and to the closest church and try to figure it out how to keep on going with your marriage. And I tried, but it couldn't. At some point, I was praying to God. We were, by that time, we were doing crack. Um, uh, and, uh, but when I find out that I was pregnant, I stopped and I light a candle and I said, God, please help me. Um, I want another type of life. And uh, if I die like I am right now, I'm going to go to hell and I don't want that. Please help me. And the Lord spoke to me back and he says, Tita, you choose this kind of life. And I reply back to him, like, really, if you don't help me, I'm going to die like this and I'm going to hell. And I know that was the day of my, my salvation was nobody was there, just him and me, and it was amazing. And I can tell tell you, it changed me just like this. Um, uh, by that time, um, so I run away. I run away from home, and now I'm running away from an abusive husband. It was so abusive that I couldn't not answer the phone. I couldn't not check the mailbox. I it it was it was a lot. It was a, a huge abuse. So um, I I ran away from him uh, while he was at work, and I uh, traveled back to Guatemala. I called my daddy from Tijuana. And I told him, like, I tried, and you have to help me. So I was with two kids and pregnant, and um, um, my, my daddy and my daddy helped, helped me. Um, so I started reading the Bible by myself. I didn't attend any church, but I read the Bible at my house, and it was so real. Um, I felt like Jesus was, every time I opened my, my Bible, I felt how Jesus came and sat next to me 
and it was so alive. Um, and I, I get here and hear what he wants. And I, I want to share some scriptures. Um, Isaiah 58, 4 through 11. Uh, if I read the Bible, it's going, it's going to be like first graded. So I'm going to let pastors to, to read. Isaiah 58, 4 through 6. What no, good? Through 11, please. Sorry? 4 through 11. 4 through 11. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this kind of fasting is what I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call on the Lord, he will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. And then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered mm. garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Amen. So that's what we all are. And that's what the Lord wants all of us to be, you know, um, a light in darkness. Um, uh, that's why I'm telling you that he... He pulled me out from darkness, but he brought me back. And I know how it feels to be there. So um, I, I there, I'm there, but I'm as a light, you know, bringing hope and hope and restoration. And can you please read Ezekiel 33? One through nine, please. Ezekiel 33, one through nine. Once again, in a message came to me from the Lord, son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people and then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they have listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and does not sound the alarm to warn people, 
He is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for the death. Yeah. So I understood that now I was light and I was responsible for the ones that were in darkness. And when I went to this place, La Limonada, all what I could see, because there is a lot of gang, uh, drug dealers, prostitutes, and a lot of promiscuity. And when I see them, I could see myself before, like, like a mirror. And I knew the way out, and I felt that way, like it's my responsibility to share what I, he has given me uh, now. So I need to share. Um, it's like we cannot cross arms and watch the world uh, falling down and people going to hell. Um, a Christian cannot feel that peace when it sees evilness and mess and um, hate and thing, like evilness, yeah. Um, then another thing that I understood um, very well, it was in Mark 3, 13. Um, I may interrupt you at some point. You can interrupt me anytime you like. Afterward, Jesus went up the mountain and called out to the ones he wanted to go with him. And they there, came to him. There. He says, he called out the ones that he wants them to be with him. That's something that I, I learned it. Like, God call us to be with him. Pay attention to that. That's the reason that why he called us, why he wants us, why he saved us. Because he wants us to be with him. And then? And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them, and he called them his apostles. And they were to accompany him. And he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. And these are the 12 that he chose. Okay. So first to be with him, then to be apostles, cast out demons and all the rest of the, the mission, making disciples. But first has to be, be with him. After being with him, everything everything is going to happen. You know, it's not about how many people you have saved, how many attend church, how many. It's not about numbers, but it's about obedience. Even if he calls you just to be light right there in your house or right there in your classroom or at your office or college or, you know, uh, it's just being obedient. That's the Christian successful. Um, then, um, First John, First John two, 
6. Those who say they live in God should they live their lives as Jesus did. Those who, the ones that call Christians himself or themselves uh, must live like Jesus lived. And um, how Jesus lived. Look for, look for 18 and 19, please. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that Mm -hmm. captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. Um, That's what Jesus came to do. So um, 2 John uh, 6 Two says that the ones that call themselves Christians, they live as Christ lived. And in Luke 4, we can read how he lived. It's in Luke 4, is almost the same as, as Isaiah 58, the first, uh, first one that we check. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, um, 17 through 20 but the 17 read it and I'm going to say something and then yeah, please this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation the old life is gone and a new life has begun I believed that um because I needed it so bad, uh, a new chance. So he gave me a new, a new chance, the salvation. He gave me like mm, erasing everything from the whiteboard and there you ha- then you have something new. I believed that he was giving me a new creation in me. Like anything that had happened before has to do with the future. It helps me right now because I understand the people that it's in in darkness. But I believed that he has done something new, a new creation in me. Because that's what he says and we need to believe that. 18 and 19 and 20, please. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Mm-hmm. We are ambassadors. Like, um, 
as a Guatemalan, if I'm here in the States and I need something from my country, if I lose my passport, I, don't, I wish I don't, but uh, I have to go to the embassy in Guatemala and they are represent. it's a piece of Guatemala in United States. So we are ambassadors from heaven and we are a piece of heaven on earth. And I believe that so. And that's what I'm doing. Um, and everything that has happened in La Limonada, it's, um, it's because of Jesus. My relationship with him, I, I was sharing with Sue, I never, like I never finished um, ninth grade. So I'm not like this master degree in something. Everything that, that happened, it, it, it was walking with Jesus one day or one minute at a time, uh, step by step. And right now we're attending more than 600 children. And um, it's what it's happening, it's amazing. And everything is because my relationship with Jesus is because it's what Jesus wanted to do. La Limonada, it's a place where Guatemalans don't go. By the way, our ministry is the only ministry that is located inside La Limonada. And then there is another, Shori, <laughs> um, he has two churches there. The churches there are very small because La Limonada, it's like a long mile, a mile long and uh, very narrow. And in that piece of land, 60,000 plus people is living. And in that community is divided in 10 or 11 different neighbors and every neighborhood has his own gang. So when I'm walking with somebody and we, we're about to pass the border, they said, okay, Sister Gita, bye, see you tomorrow or whatever. And I keep walking and they cannot cross the, the, the border. And um, it's very dangerous. Um, see, I started working there 25 years ago. And I think more than 2,000 people have died since I was there. Last month, it was 12 people died. Three natural and the other ones were shot. And um, right now, there is a police presence in the Limonada that it's, that's something new. And it has brought peace. Um, one of my prayers wa was... Um, to make God stop the hate and the, the desire of revenge in the gangs. And this last time that six people was killed, um, uh, I was praying that and I felt like, eh, this is not gonna happen. You have to keep on evangelizing and being light and that's 
That's your call. That's what you have been called to do. But it seems like God answered my, my prayer, uh, bringing the cups, because since the cups are there, everything has been in peace. Um, why I end in, why people ask me why I choose La Limonada. Well, I never choose La Limonada. I start, I used to work at the community hospital um, helping the burned kids. And uh, one of the nurses asked me if I pray for everybody or just for kids. And I said, no, for everybody. And she says, there is a gang in intensive care. You should go because it's not the first time they are here. So I went and there was one gang member. And um, he had so many different things in his body. He couldn't not breathe by himself. He, he will not open his eyes. But every day I visit him and when I talk to him about Jesus' love, tears will fall down and so after a month he was ready to go out from the hospital and I start visiting him and I didn't knew it was La Limonada but through him he was the leader of one gang and he finished high school he studied to become a pastor and the day before I came to the States um he texted me and called me. Uh, he was getting graduated from a uh, master in theology. Yeah. And he wrote a book that it's called From the Streets to the Pulpit. And um, uh, that's a summary. That's a summary of a very summary <laughs> of my life. I don't have much time. So we have one academy that has been for the last um, 19 years, another one the last 11 years, the other one five years, the other one two and a half years, and probably in February or March we will open a new school. Every school is located in different neighborhoods to reach the kids around there. So, so that's, that's it. <laughs> um, I'm going to pray and uh, then we're going to do something else. Um, Daddy, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you because it's so clear to us. Thank you because you just, not just save us, but give us a mission to each one of us. Mm. Daddy, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Um, we bless you and we rest in you. Allow us to be light wherever darkness is. Um, we trust you and we love you and we do want to have that relationship that you want to have with us. We want to know you better. We want to know you deeper. In Jesus Christ's name, our only Savior, the only way. Amen.
Will you say thank you to Tita? Kevin <laughs> said no. Uh, join me uh, on a stool, if you would, Tita, and I'll take this away so folks can see you. Um, we, uh, we thought it would be maybe helpful and fun in these closing moments to just spend a couple minutes in question and answer. And so um, the wonderful uh, and intelligent uh, Renee is going to roam the room. If you have a question for Tita, uh, begin to get that ready and slip your hand up or get Renee's attention and she'll swing by. Let me, uh, while you prepare the first of your questions... Let me just paint a little bit of a picture of this coming year's efforts in Guatemala so that uh, you can know. Uh, and let me start by saying uh, our goal as a leadership and our goal as a church is that when it comes to Guatemala each summer, we would have 100% participation. Uh, what in the world do you mean by that, Stu? Um, what we mean by that uh, is very simply... Every single person who calls Disciples Church their home, those of us who are here today and the other hundred or so who, you know, stream in and out and aren't here today, that every single one of us would play a part in Guatemala in the year ahead. There will be a number of different ways for people to get involved. Everything from probably the highest level of commitment, which is probably raising the funds and going on the trip and being there for the week, which... We, we want uh, to have you be part of that, all the way down to simply supporting financially by purchasing a water filter uh, for clean water for a year through the EcoFilter program, or uh, helping give a financial contribution to Vetus Plenis, which you can do today or any other day, or uh, praying for Tita or any other way. So uh, once again, I just want to set the bar there, that the goal is 100% involvement, that this is something we do as family. Just like as Christmas is coming, it would be really odd for a member of your immediate family to come downstairs or into the living room on Christmas morning and say, okay, uh, for the Christmas portion, the opening of the gifts portion, I'm not going to take part. Um, I'll be back when the food comes out because um, I'm not really into the gifts part. So I'm going to come back for the food. Or, you know, I'll be there for gifts, but I don't want to be there for the food. I don't like your food. Uh, that when we're family, we take part in all of it. And we say we're going to be part of it. Um, so we want to invite you to do that. Uh, this year's Guatemala outreach uh, is really broken down into three particular teams. And this has been a response to your request, a response to uh, your questioning of uh, how some of that goes. Not in a negative way at all, but just saying, hey, can we zero in? And so this year, we're going to break the team into three sub-teams. And the first of those teams is going to be a construction team, which we've never done before. But there are some construction projects going on in Hocatillo in the, the hill region in the very rural area of Guatemala where we work about an hour outside the city. And we're going to be stacking block and building a building under the leadership of the Guatemalan uh, community there. And we will be their muscle. They'll be the brains. We'll be the muscle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we need a team of about four or five women and or men to uh, join in that. And so we're going to need some construction people. Secondarily, we need a teaching team, a team who for the five days we're there, they'll be devoted to bringing lessons to children and doing teaching, both in the academies at Vitas Plenis and also out in Hocatillo in the uh, rural region. And then third and finally, we're going to have an intercessory prayer team. And the intercessory prayer team will make trips uh, with Tita in Vitas Plenis, walking around Limonada and praying over communities and families, praying for healing, praying uh, for salvation, uh, 
praying for God's presence. And then also, again, that team will also be out in the rural hill country doing home visits and prayer. So three distinct teams will meet up each night. We'll have a little bit of crossover here and there. But you essentially will be able to sign up for the team where you feel God leading you. So you want to, for those of you who are saying, hey, I love Guatemala. It sounds awesome. But man, I need a project. I need something to do while I'm there. Uh, We got a project for you. For those who say, I don't need a project, I, I'm an intercessory prayer person, and I want to pray, we have that for you. So uh, various, various things going on. So that's kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of Guatemala. You can go on the website, and all the information is there. The cost, the application, all the info is on the website. Questions for Tita as we just begin to frame that in and, and see what Guatemala is like. No question. You get a unique opportunity with Tita, uh, maybe once in your life, so take advantage of it. So, Tita, you said there were basically 11 different neighborhoods. Um, is your goal then 11 different schools, one for each neighborhood, or what do you think you need school-wise to reach the children? Well, um, that would be amazing, but if God doesn't want more schools, I'm not going to start more schools. But for now, we have five academies, in, and we reach more than five neighbors. Um, two academies are located in a border, so we receive kids from different uh, neighbors. Yeah. That's a, a, a question that I, I, people does a lot, that question to me, and I have no idea. It's God's plans. <laughs> I'm just following him. Yeah. I think there's a sense, as you bring the, yeah, bring it down there, I think there's a sense for us as uh, Americans especially that we, we really like a master plan, you know, we, and we want this, you know, this grand vision. And one of the things that we've learned from Tita over the years of being there is this very clear sense, it's not false humility, this very clear sense that, I just want to do what Jesus wants me to do next. And the next thing, you know, who, who do I pray for next? Whose home do I go to next? And that in that long obedience in one direction, um, mm-hmm. these things have fallen mm-hmm. into place every step of the way. Yes. And so there have been so many times, and, and Tita has been so gracious in her correction of me. I'll just speak for me. When I've said, so Tita, what's the grand vision? Okay, so what's the next? I'm a visionary. What's the next one? And she says, oh, oh, Stu, the vision is Jesus. That's the grand vision. The grand vision is Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. So the, in the grand vision of Jesus, where, where are we going next? She goes, oh, 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 Stu. <laughs> I want to take you to somebody's house and let you pray for them. That's the grand vision. And it's mm. just this beautiful ah oh, breathing um, mm. and we just thank you for that thanks for thank always God. doing that yes thank you so very much um how are the um children or the academies affecting the parents how are the children of the families what affecting parents. okay i think the family is like a dark spot and god has opened one window through the kids to shine his light. And for sure, we felt that we, because our goal with the academies is prevention. 
because the seven, five, seven first years in La Limonada, I worked with gang members and drug dealers and them. And it was so hard. It was so painful. And their testimonies, it was that something happened when they were two or three or four years old. So our goal is prevention. And um, at some point, a long time ago, we felt that having just the kids, it was like having an airplane flying with one wing. So we decided to start parenting school. So we don't charge anything, but the, ki the parents have to come once a month. So half an hour, there's like the, um, the academies have a social psychologist and clinical psych psychologist because we have around then 80% of our kids have been abused. So um, that's why the clinical psychologist will, will deal with the kid and the social, social psychologist will deal with the family. So it's, it's more than just the kids, it's the families. And you know, there is a testimony, there was a lady that, uh, there are so many problems and issues in that community, and, um, but God is so present there. Um, she was about to go kill herself, and suddenly she saw an, a craft that his or her, uh, her daughter or boy did at the academy. And it said something about Jesus' hope or something about that. And she stopped and said, like, I'm going to trust God and I'm not going to kill myself. So it's beyond just the kids. Yeah. Lindsay, will you put up that image um, of the of the whole process? And will you walk us through um, the rescue bridge? Yeah, the rescue bridge. Put up that rescue bridge image. There we go. Thank you so much. Um, you can see um, three and seven years old. Um, three of the academies have children from two to eleven years old and two academies from three, four, to, to 11 years old. But we have that lapse of time from two to seven, because when the kids turn seven, they realize they are poor, they are different. So it's when they are more vulnerable to be, to join the gang of thief or drugs or easy money. So those first years, we try to teach them about God, about Jesus, about hope, about the Bible. We have a daily devotional and once a week, um, Formación Cristiana. Andrea? Uh, Christian Formation? Yeah. Well done, Andrea. Uh, I believe we have the first sign-up for the Guatemala team this summer. Yeah. Pray for and that visa. And she's going to be the translator. We hope so. <laughs> and, um, she's now hiding under. <laughs> and um, so we have that lapse of time. And then we have that bridge to pass them 
through 18 or more years old when they graduate from high school. And then they are by themselves to, to work and pay college. We don't pay college. We don't help. We don't give scholarship to college for college because we do not want them to depend on us. We want them to learn how to work and pay their college. And then they can have godly families. So we do that through academies, parenting school, and scholarships. Um, also, you see Jesus on the top. Um, anything that we do will make sense without Jesus. Will be a, just a crazy plan. So Jesus is the center of everything that we do. He's the reason. Um, because I have learned that anything wrong is with poverty, but the injustice. That's what is not right. Um, uh, then we have rescue down here. Uh, we have two guys that work with the gangs uh, all mornings. Some of them um, are in um, homeschool. They are being homeschooled. And um, we have uh, two nurses that visit all the community with the people that it's in a wheelchair or quadra quadriplegic or have some disease. And that's, that's what a summary of what we do. Uh, we have a... 190 kids in scholarships. We give scholarship to junior high and high school, not to elementary because elementary, they have public school. It's not good, but at least it's for free. And then we pay uh, for, this year we start paying just for the ones that have been in the academies because we just have one person two, but one in charge of a scholarship and we cannot hold more, more kids. So um, this coming year, 2020, we're going to have around 175 scholarships. Yeah. Yeah. Any other question? No? Probably time for one more. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I was just wondering, like, there's on the video a little girl, or I guess a bunch of the little girls were saying they want to be, like, Miss Tita. And um, I guess I was just kind of curious and, and wondering how many of the kids who graduate out of your programs and then go on to college, do, do any of them or some of them come back to, like, join your ministry? Yes. By the way, yes. For your information... We think that no less than 95% of the kids that have been in our program has been gone in a, the good path. Yeah. Um, we have a teacher. Her, her name is Abby. Her, she has part of the pro, She was part of the program. And she said her dream was to become a teacher from the academies. And she did. And she has been with us for the last five years, probably. And uh, we have had have some teachers from that has been part of the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I was uh, 
texting with Tita last night. We were just sending back silly emojis back and forth. Uh, that's a joke. Tita doesn't send a lot of silly emojis. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Y'all, that felt kind of flat on you. Uh, that's okay. Um, but I was texting with Tita, and, and I said, uh, she asked me, can I have someone read the Bible uh, for tomorrow? Um, and I said, of course, you can have anything you want. And I did a little smiley face, and, and you know me, I'm being a little silly. I go, you, Tita, it's you. You can have anything you want. And she texts me back, and she says, um, I just want justice for the poor. That, and it's this idea that on the frontal lobe of her mind is this passion that God put on her heart, justice for the poor. And that in every conversation, unforced, justice for the poor comes to mind. I, I just want, ju- this is what the Lord has made her for. This, and, and I trust that in her heart and in her mind, there's always this thought of, do I go down and pray for that? Do I, do I come to the States and spend time in California? Do, in every decision being made, in the front of that decision making is, will this help deliver justice to the poor? And this is how God has wired us all. Now, justice for the poor may not be the thing that God has put on your heart or, uh, or on the heart of the person mm-hmm. to your left or your right. But on each of us, as a follower of Christ, the only way God sees you as a missionary. So when you and I act like individuals and our lives don't make sense, it's because our lives don't make sense. Because hmm. that's not how God made us. He made us to be a missionary, and he's put something on your heart that when engaged fully in just simple obedience, one step at another at another, and uh, to God be the glory if we would go 30 years like Tita has of taking that one step in front of the other, never in perfection. Tita gets it wrong every day, I'm sure, that we begin to lean into our personal mission that then we come together as a corporate body of believers and we imagine what might happen if we all lived that. If on the front of every conversation was what God had made us for. I want justice for the poor. If we don't do what the Bible says, we're surviving. And that's not uh, a life. He wants us to have a full life. So we, like surviving that doesn't make sense. We have way too much, more than that. I want to invite the band and the prayer team to uh, come up, and we're going to clear the stage uh, so we can spend a few final moments uh, together. Would you give one more huge thank you to Miss Tita? Mm-hmm. And uh, as the band comes, my challenge for us as a, as a family would be that in these closing moments, we continue to lean into that desire of, I want to know your heart, God. Pull me a little closer. And and in a moment of true confession, I was there in the front row singing those words some 30 minutes ago, and it was as hard as it has ever been for me to focus on, God, what is your heart? Because I was so distracted by everything else going on in my day. I was thinking about this thing over here I got to take care of and this thing back there I got to do and this thing coming up and oh, have I, did I cross that T and dot that I and then there's this frustration about this other and my mind was swirling a thousand miles an hour. I'm guessing I wasn't the only one. And yet we were singing these words, God, 
pull me a little closer. I want to know your heart. Because in those moments where we will calm ourselves just long enough to hear the heart of God, we begin to lean into our own personal vision of what Pastor Doug has called for years our personal destiny, which is this anointing God has put on your life this passion because of the way you wired up, because of your life experience, because of what you've lived through, because of your training and the way your brain works, that you have a personal mission before you. For some, it's to lead us in worship. To others, it's to care for the poor. To others, it's something altogether different. But as we stand to our feet in just a few moments to continue in worship, and the prayer team is here, Uh, My challenge would be to take advantage of these moments and to uh, approach somebody on the prayer team and simply begin the prayer with, I want to know God's heart for my personal vision, for my personal mission on my life. I believe that when those kids see in Tita what they see in Tita that you and I got to experience, it's not lifting Tita up to give her glory. It's saying, man, with a ninth grade education, with a a background that should lead to to utter disrepair, a person who said, God, I want to know your heart and I want to do your very next thing that you put in front of me has erupted this passion for the poor. Imagine how God might use you. Stand to your feet if you would and uh, let us continue to worship.